you to take your Bibles and go ahead and open them up to Mark chapter 8. As you're doing that, let me just say how thankful I am to be here again today. You didn't vote me out last week, so I'm relieved. Uh, I was reminded that we probably ought to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are meeting in other churches at this moment, particularly our Methodist brothers and sisters, because they discovered last week that they might just have to wait in order to get a table at their favorite restaurant. So no longer are they guaranteed to to get there before we get there. So we're going to teach them a little bit about patience. So we're going to get out of here, we're going to beat them to the restaurants, and they're going to feel what it's like to have to wait on those tables. As you find your place in Mark chapter 8, I want to throw out three words that often define many people's relationship with God. Those three words are the words casual, convenient, comfortable. Let me break that down for a moment if I can. To be casual means occasional. Coming at certain times without regularity. Casual means showing little interest or or no concern. When you're casual in a relationship, it's kind of, you're nonchalant about that relationship, which means that relationship ultimately lacks closeness and intimacy. Some people are casual in their relationship with God. Others, their relationship would be described as being convenient. Convenient means being suitable to one's comfort, purpose, and needs. The fact of the matter is many of people's faith is driven by convenience. In fact, it often fails when it's challenged to true discipleship. Unfortunately, many people are only interested in God when they have a need from God. So some people's relationship could be described as casual, Others can be described as convenient. And then for some, their relationship would be described as comfortable. Which means for them, they want to meet in air-conditioned buildings in the summer and heated buildings in the winter. They want to hear sermons that will make them feel good. Heaven forbid they hear a message that would make them feel uncomfortable or challenge them to make a decision in their life that they are just not comfortable with with doing. Those that are comfortable in the relationship with God, they want the worship service to last as long as they're comfortable with, and they want to sing the songs that they prefer. Somewhere along the line, we bought into this misunderstanding that church is a spectating event when it's supposed to be participatory. The worship service isn't like Burger King where you can have it your way. It's supposed to be more like Home Depot. You can do it. We can help. (laughs) So there's nothing casual. There's nothing convenient. Nor ought there be anything comfortable in the way of describing our relationship with God 
as we seek to pursue true discipleship. Your Bibles are open to Mark chapter 8. I want you to look at verse number 34. There it says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In the original Greek, it would be translated as if anyone would come after me, let them keep on denying themselves. Keep on taking up their cross. Keep on following after me. In other words, true discipleship is not a decision of a moment. It is a direction for a lifetime. For too many, that may seem overwhelming or or not very appealing. But Jesus gives us the motive to which will move us in the right direction of pursuing true discipleship in the very next verse. The very next verse says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. I want to talk about our commitment today. As we begin a brand new series talking about the different aspects of our commitment, we're going to start with the most important one, our commitment to Jesus Christ. Have you truly committed yourself to the Lordship of Christ? And so to be fully committed to Christ it means that three things must occur in our lives. So I'm going to give you three points this morning. And the three things that must occur in our lives, we start off with point number one, being that there is a denial that you must embrace. Back to verse number 34, it says that we must keep on denying ourselves. And when Jesus speaks about self-denial, he's not speaking merely of denying some pleasure or some comfort on a temporary basis, uh, as uh, many of us might do uh, during Lent season leading up to Easter. We might set aside some sacrifice, something that we deny ourselves from for a limited time. Well, that's important and that's helpful in spiritual growth and development. That's not what it means for self-denial. It goes much, much deeper than just a temporary setting aside of something. Self-denial means that we can no longer be the center of our lives. Self-denial means that we renounce our right to our own lives. We say that we're no longer going to try to run our lives on our own. We deny that we own ourselves and that we don't have the right to decide what we do or where we go. That right belongs to God and God alone. And when it's stated in terms like this, it might seem a bit outrageous to some because it strikes at the heart of our very existence. As individuals, and even, uh, even as American believers, like, like one thing that we value the one thing that we covet, the one thing that we seek to protect over everything else is for someone else to try to tell us what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to do it. We refuse to place ourselves under the control of anything or anyone else. We often reserve the right to, to make the final decisions of our own lives, but it's as though we have forgotten completely 
what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he says, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So if we're going to follow Jesus, then we no longer own ourselves. So self-denial means that we will follow Jesus no matter what the cost is involved. It reminds me of a mother. Because it's Mother's Day, this would even make more sense. It reminds me of a mother who is uh, preparing a breakfast for her little boys. And as she's preparing breakfast for her two little boys, she can hear them arguing at the table because they're hungry and they want to go first. And so the mother saw this as an opportunity to teach them a moral lesson. And so she turns to her, her children and she says, Oh, if Jesus were here, he would say, Let my brother have the first pancakes. To which the older brother turns to the younger and says, All right, you get to be Jesus. That's the problem, isn't it? Think about it. We want everyone else to deny themselves. We just don't want to have to deny ourselves. But Christ is calling us to a life of self-denial. Martin Luther very profoundly once said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. So self-denial is not easy. We all have things that we want. We all have goals that that we want to pursue. At least hopefully we do. But Christ is clear that when we choose to follow Him, He becomes the priority of our life. His will supersedes our desires, our wants, our wishes. So if we're going to embrace true discipleship, then there's a denial that we must first embrace. Which means we don't always get to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And that goes against our natural tendency. This means that there will be times and there will be seasons in life where you're going to face tough, life-changing moments. You're going to have to make hard decisions in life. Decisions that need to be made in the shadows of the cross as opposed from the desires of our heart. It doesn't mean when we deny ourselves, it doesn't mean that we're never going to be happier or have joy. To, to deny ourselves for Him means that our fulfillment, true joy, everlasting happiness is rooted in and through Jesus and Jesus alone on taking up the cross. When Jesus said to take up the cross, the cross wasn't a beloved symbol as it is today. It was big. It was ugly. It was a heavy, crude device of extreme torture. The cross conveyed the message of shame, suffering, death. What does it mean to take up our cross? What does it mean to bear a cross. Before I give you the answer of what it means to, to bear a cross, let me just quickly tell you what it doesn't mean to bear a cross. When facing difficult circumstances and situations in life, people will often say, well, I guess that's just your cross to bear. Perhaps somebody has said that to you. 
Maybe you've even said that to someone else. When people speak about bearing a cross in that type of manner, not embrace it. I don't say this to make light of anyone's circumstance or situation in life today. But let me tell you, that is not what it means to bear a cross. When we suffer from sickness, from disease, from discouragement, if you have to suffer because you have maybe bad neighbors or awful in-laws, if you're suffering because you have a horrible boss or gossipy co-workers, if you're suffering because your friend, your closest friend, betrayed you, well, that's a horrible situation, but that's not what it means to bear a cross. That's not what it's talking about. Bearing the cross is a choice. It's a decision that we make for ourselves. When Jesus tells us to to take up the cross and to keep on taking up the cross, Jesus is telling us to voluntarily enter into a life of sacrificial obedience unto Him. It's a decision that we get to make. And we say, all right, God, I'm all in. No matter what it takes, no matter what is required from me, I will sacrificially obey your will and your word no matter what. Now I'm convinced that that generally speaking, we don't usually like to do that. I'm also convinced, based upon the number of us that are in this room right now, I would almost say, I think I'll say it, that the majority of us would much rather wear a cross than we would bear a cross. But true discipleship means that we must keep on taking up that cross. Keep on living in sacrificial obedience to the Word and to the will of God. You see, casual followers are cross-bearers. I'm sorry, committed followers are cross-bearers. Casual followers are ones that seek to find an easy way. If you're committed, then you dare to discipline yourself. But if you're casual in your relationship with God, then you seek uh, spiritual shortcuts if you can. A committed follower is the one that seeks holiness above everything else. A casual follower is the one that's seeking happiness above everything else. Committed followers seek to please God in all that they do, in all that they say, whereas casual followers seek after God only when they need something, only when it's convenient for them. Committed followers say, how can I serve in my church? Casual followers say, what's in it for me? What are you going to do for me? In order to truly pursue discipleship and to be ultimately committed to Christ, then there's the denial that we must embrace, there's a death that we must experience, and then thirdly, there is a direction that we must ensue. It has been said that Gandhi was once asked by a friend, if you admire Christ so much, then why don't you become a Christian? To which he reportedly said, when I meet a Christian 
who is a follower of Christ, I may consider it. I think there's a distinct difference today between the term Christian and Christ follower. I prefer to use the term Christ follower because I think the the term Christian has almost been watered down in our culture. We have this idea, well, because I was born in in, in the great state of Texas, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Because I vote a certain way, in line with a certain party, now nah, I'm a Christian. Because I eat uh, nuggets and drink lemonade from Chick-fil-A, well, I'm a Christian. You know, people readily identify themselves as being a Christian. But it's so much more different to identify or to align yourself as a Christ follower. Too many people are, are, are quite happy to say that they're a Christian with little or no thought or consideration of what it means to truly follow Christ. As Christ's followers, we are called to demonstrate His love, His grace, and His mercy. As followers after Christ, we are to, to help others that are in need. We're to forgive all people Every single time. Forgive. Because that's what our Father does for us. And what we have received from Him, we're to demonstrate to others. So if you're a Christ follower, then you're someone who's seeking to demonstrate His love, His grace, His mercy. You seek to demonstrate His forgiveness and His faithfulness in our lives. We're committed to display uh, the truth and, and the purity of our Lord and Savior. I want you to know that Christ calls us to follow Him. Not some creed, not some ritual, not some tradition, but to follow Him wherever He leads us. Our commitment to Christ is what is to drive us and is what defines who we are and what we do. How committed to Christ are you today? Are you all in? Are you a casual follower? Are you comfortable in your relationship with him? Maybe you're thinking, maybe you're not. To death, seek the right direction. Why? Why should I do any of this? Denial, death, and godly direction aren't exactly words that motivate everyone. I think the best answer to the question of why is simply because Jesus did for us. That's exactly what our Savior did for us. Jesus denied his own rights when he left heaven and came to earth. Denied it. He denied every right that was his. And he took on the form of of, of human flesh. Totally man. Totally God at the same time. It is a mind-blowing concept to try to wrap your, your heads around. And in fancy lingo, we call that the hypostatic union. It means that he was fully God and fully man at the same time. And so he denied himself. He limited himself. He, he denied the rights that were his so that he could take on the human flesh so that ultimately in his denying of his rights, then he would pursue death on the cross. The death that we deserve. 
He took my punishment. He, he bore the weight of my sin. What I deserve, he took on. So, so he denied his own rights. He, he died an agonizing death, and then the direction that he followed was the will of his father. Oh, he had his own desires. You can listen to his prayer. Uh, and, and the night that he was betrayed, before he was handed over, oh God, if there's any other way, but not my will be done. Yours be done. He radically obeyed the will of the Father. Jesus gives us the perfect model of self-denial. In Christ, we see the image of, of what it means to truly bear the cross. He gives us the picture of what true obedience looks like. And then he turns around and he extends the invitation to us. And he says, come, follow me. Follow me. It's not just a decision of the moment. Salvation isn't an insurance policy where you get to just say a prayer and you're like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to get there. I can do anything I want to do with my life now. It's not how it works. It's a, it's a commitment to our Lord and Savior. It's a recognition that says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of his love. I'm not worthy of his forgiveness. I'm not worthy to stand in the presence of God. But because of the sacrifice made by my Savior, I can receive the forgiveness and the cleansing of my life. I can put my faith, my trust, my confidence in the Son. And then he will stand before the Father and say, Daddy, this one belongs to me. Welcome him into your presence. Are you truly committed to Jesus Christ? Do you desire to honor him and please him in all that you do? Understand, I ask you, are you committed to Christ? I didn't ask you if you're a believer. Are you committed to him? Do you love him more than you love anyone or anything else? Do you understand what his will is for your life? Sometimes we, 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 we live in this misinformation that discovering the will of God is, is so complicated and it's so difficult. I'm here to tell you that understanding the will of God is as simple as understanding the word of God. If you want to know the will of God, you got to know the Word of God. And the more you know the Word of God, the more you begin to understand His will for your life, and then you can live a life of obedience to it. So we've got to be students of the Word. And, and years of experience has taught me that we've come up with every single excuse that we can come up with in order to avoid studying the Word of God. I don't have the time. Really? Is there anything more important than understanding what God wants from us and for us in life? No, I'm just not a reader. Come on. It's 2018. Download an app on your phone that will read the word to you so you can just listen. It's the age of technology. It's just right there. I'll give you videos that you can watch and you can, you can see it. I mean, you can see the word. You can listen to the word. You can read it yourself. But you have to be disciplined. There's no excuse. None. None. He has given us His Word to guide our lives, 
to help us to understand who he is so that we can have perfect clarity of what he wants for us and from us. Oh, in the weeks to come, we're going to get personal in these discussions. We're starting off with your commitment to Christ. Oh, we're going to talk about your commitment to worship, your commitment to prayer, your commitment to financial giving. We're going to talk about your commitment uh, to sharing the gospel with other people. We'll try to hit on every commitment that I can come up with over these next several weeks. But we start with Christ because everything begins with him. Church, are you committed to Jesus? Do you desire to honor him and please him with all of your life? Is that your commitment? If not, would you make that decision for you today? Will you fully commit and say, God, I'm all in. I'm yours. I recognize that. I believe that. I trust you. I'm in. Help me. Help me to love your word and to love other people the way you've called me to. Let's pray. Father, this time of invitation, I pray that you would receive all the glory that you're due, that we would make life-changing decisions in this moment, that we'd stop playing around with church. We understand that your calling on our lives is great. The fact of the matter is there are people that are here that belong to you, and there, there are people that are here that belong to the devil. It's just the way it is. May your spirit convict us. May your spirit draw us to you so that we can confess and that we can repent and that we can enter into a relationship with you. So in this time of invitation for those that don't know you in a personal way, I pray that today would be a day of salvation unto them. For your children, Father, I pray that today is the day that we understand there's a distinct difference in Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord, Master, Ruler, Kingdom. Whatever needs to happen right now, Father, be pleased. May you be praised. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.